Well, glory to God. It's good to see you all here this morning. We are going to be in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. There were three ladies who were sitting around bragging about their children, as moms like to do. The, the first one said, my son graduated from Stanford, number one in his class, works as a doctor making $250,000 a year. The next woman said, well, my son graduated from Harvard, number one in his class, and he works out in Los Angeles as a lawyer making half a million dollars. The third lady said, well, my son never did too well in school, didn't go to any college or university. Nothing like that, but he lives up in New York and he makes over one million dollars a year. One million dollars a year. She said he works as a sports repairman. They said, what in the world is a sports repairman? Oh, he fixes hockey games and basketball games and (laughs) football games. Well, you know, some things just need fixing. Some things just need to to have a little bit of repair work done on them. And so as we get into our series, we're back on our, our regular series here this morning after break from last Sunday. We went on to some other things. But how many times do you approach a room, a car, or a workbench, or something in the house, and you look at it, and you say, all right, it's working okay, but I think it can work better. Right? You look at this room and you say, ah, it's all right, but I think it can be better. You look at that car and it's working okay, but you have a vision that that car can be better. It can be prettier, it can be faster, it can be more powerful. You ever watch Tim the Tool Man? He's, he made a living out of making things better, improving things. We're going to be looking today about how... Uh, how to look at some things and just kind of improve them. Some things just need a little bit of modification. And we're going to be looking at that. The last couple of weeks, as we were going over this series, the series we've been in is give God something to work with. Don't just pray and leave it all up to God. You've got to be doing something. We looked at the centurion, and this was the first time that Jesus, or one of the times that we saw that Jesus mentioned that someone had great faith. And we looked at some of the things that were involved with his great faith. We then followed it up the next week and we saw the woman from the area of Sidon, Tyre. And he said, great is your faith. Two times Jesus called people's faith great. And so we looked at those two stories. We compared them a little bit. We looked at what makes people's faith great. Because most times he just talked to them, you know, be it unto you according to your faith. Sometimes he said, where is your faith? How is it you have no faith? We looked at one of those times when Peter said, can I come out and walk on the water with you, basically? He saw Jesus out there. He said, if it is you, call for me and I'll come out there. And he said, come. So he, Peter went on out there and he walked on the water. And how many of y'all know uh, it has to take great faith to walk on water? Because we really only know two people ever did it. And so he's out there walking on the water and all of a sudden it begins to sink and Jesus goes down there and grabs him and he says to him, great was your faith, right? <laughs> he didn't say that, did he? He said, why did you doubt? What happened? What happened to your faith? Why did you doubt? And so we we put all these clues together to find out what is it that makes great faith? Because if I want to have, if, I mean, whatever we're going to do something, we want to be great at it, right? You know, when we're kids, we dream of being great at something that we like. 
great person in sports, great musician, great writer, something. We picture ourselves as being great at it. So we want to become great. So we took some clues from there to find out what was it that caused us to be great. And we saw that the two cases where he said, great is your faith, were two cases in which those two people needed absolutely zero natural stimulation. They needed nothing in the natural to get their faith going. The centurion, he said, he first off, he sent out the elders of the Jews to call Jesus to his house. And the Jews went out there and they said, oh, please come. Oh, he's worthy of you coming. And that was not the message that he wanted them to convey. And so when he heard, when word got back to him that all this was going on, he sent out his friends. You'll go to the store, you'll find out. He sent out the elders first, second time. He sent out his friends. You guys will get it right. Get the message right to him. He did not change his mind. This is the message you wanted to convey. He said, I am not worthy that you come under my roof. I didn't mean for you to do this. All you need to do is say the word. I don't need to see you in my house. I don't need to see you wave your hand. I don't need to see you speak a word. All I need to know is that you did it. Needed no natural stimulation. The woman from the region of Tyre, she's getting nothing. She's, she's talking to Jesus. Please heal my daughter. Please heal my daughter. And he's not even giving her the time of day. Finally, she comes and worships him and at least gets his attention. And he says, it's not right that the bread from the children's table be given to the little dogs. And most of us would get offended at that and walk home. You know what he said to me? He called me a dog. This great man, healer. Doesn't even want to talk to me and then calls me a dog. We would get hurt. But you know what she did? She took the truth that he, that he said and didn't question it. She said, remember her words? Truth, Lord. She accepted it. One of the things we've got to learn if we want to have great faith is that when Jesus says it, accept it. Just accept it. It's true. If he said it, it's true. Just because it doesn't line up with your life does not mean that it's not right. It's true. So she, she's, truth, Lord. But even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And he looked at her and he says, great is your faith. Be it unto you as you desire. And her daughter was healed. When Peter lost his faith, he looked at natural stimulation and overcame his faith. If you want to have great faith in the kingdom of God, you've got to stop looking for nice little tidbits coming in the natural. You know, little things. Well, I'm believing for my finances to change. And as soon as I get that word that I'm getting a raise, I'll believe it. As soon as I hear that I'm believing God for a job. And as soon as I get this kind of a response from people, then I'll... No. Zero natural stimulation. Zero in the natural, all 100% spirit. That is what makes great faith. That's what you need to do. We did other things in, in this as well, but let's move on here to blind Bartimaeus. I was actually going to go in a different direction and look at some other stories that, that Jesus had done because there's, there's a, uh, the, the next stage we're going to get into in this was, I was thinking about it for this week, but I kept thinking, oh, we need one more week on this, this aspect, one more week on this, and then we'll get into it next week. But next week, when we get into it next week, I, I was thinking about it this way. What we're going to get into next week is on the lines of a Wednesday night topic. That'll mean something to some of you. The, the heavy-duty topics go to Wednesday night. It's a, it's a Wednesday night topic. It's almost on the lines of a Wednesday night topic. But you all, I'm going to pray all week long and you'll be able to handle it. Because, you know, sometimes we just need to get God to rock us a little bit. So we're going to get into that next time. But we just needed one more week on this. And I was actually looking at two stories. And I could preach every year on the miracles of Jesus. I just love the miracles of Jesus. There's so much to be learned from them. 
They're just fantastic. I could preach every year from it. But I uh, looked up the two stories I was going to get into this morning. I don't know why I waited until this morning, but I looked it up. And, oh, we just taught them both of them last year. So we're going to go on until we, we re, uh, retooled it and went into a different direction. So Mark chapter 10. Blind Bartimaeus. It's been a little while since we talked about blind Bartimaeus, but he's got a good thing, some good things for us to learn from. Verse 46. Now they came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho, Jericho is, is near the town of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, and his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, and he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. They called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer. Rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. And he followed Jesus on the road. That's the story. We're going to break that down a little bit in, uh, on this. But here's a, here's a blind guy. He sat on the road outside of Jericho. He went to get some of the pasture buyers. It's a, it's a fairly well-traveled road. And he went to get some of the pasture buyers. Now, if you are a blind guy who begs, how do you make a living? <laughs> From other people. Other people coming on by and they give you stuff. They give you alms. You know, you sit there by the road and you bang the little cup and, you know, you know holler out alms, alms. And so forth. And then people come on by. So what is the best thing? If you are a blind person begging on the road, what is the best thing to happen to you? And what is, what is going to make your day? If a whole lot of people come on down the road, right? Because if you get a whole lot of people coming down, I mean, if, if your average is one in 10, one in 20, and you got a crowd of 100, 200 people coming on down the road, glory to God, it's Christmas. All right, and if one of them starts giving you some, probably some of the other ones will, maybe they'll feel the pressure and they'll give you something too. So whenever you saw a crowd as a blind beggar, you began to think, oh, this is good. This is good. And you, you know, you're blind, you're not deaf. So you can tell the difference from the crowd noise, how many people are there. Maybe, you know, he's blind, he can't tell exactly how many, but he got an idea. This is not three people walking on down the road. <laughs> we got some folks coming on down the road here. I hear their footsteps. I hear their, their voices. We got some people. So if you are a blind beggar who lives off of other people and you got a whole lot of people coming on down the road, what are you, th- what are you going to do? Wouldn't you be saying, alms, alms, alms for the beggar, alms for the poor. But he doesn't do that. Look at what he does. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many around him encouraged him. Be louder. Get his attention. Now, what did they do? (laughs) Many around him warned him, be quiet. Be quiet. Have you ever been warned, especially growing up, you know, you're, 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 Growing up, you're small, you're making insignificant noise. Just, you know, it's just, it's just noise. To adults, little children make insignificant. It's not important. What are you doing? We're, we're involved in something right now. You need to, and you get warned to be quiet. Be quiet. Now, you're not always warned in a really nice way, especially if something important is going on. You know, if mom or dad are on the phone and they're trying to hear the phone. Remember back in the days? 
some of us may remember this, when you were on a phone that had a wire. Do you remember those days? The phone actually had a wire, and you can only go so far from that. Now, our phone, back when we were growing up, we had like a 25-foot wire. We were getting close, we were getting real close to that wireless society right there. We could, we could walk almost all the way around the house with that. It was a, it was a 25 and it was coiled. Y'all remember, I mean, it was messed up, all, all kinds of nasty ways, but it worked. You could walk all over the place on this thing. But you know, you can only get so far. And so if we're in there making noise and mom's on an important phone call, what do we need? What do we hear? Be quiet. I'm on the phone. And so, you know, we get that message and then we know we need to, Go somewhere else, and because we always listened, <laughs> always, every time, didn't you? <laughs> oh man! So he, when he heard that it was Jesus, there was pressure to be quiet. When he when he heard it was Jesus. Now this is not the first time he heard it's Jesus. He's no. He, if this is the first time that he heard it's Jesus, it's just like you know it's George coming on down the road. George who? We don't, we don't, it's just somebody coming down the road. We don't know. But no, when he heard, oh, it's Jesus. It's, it's who? It's Jesus. Oh, it's Jesus. There was a movie that was on. I really didn't enjoy watching the whole movie, but I did finally, my kids made me this Christmas finally sit down and, and see the whole movie. And I'm sad to say that I did. But how many saw that movie called Elf? Did you see that movie called Elf? Yeah. I just, it's just not my kind of humor. It's okay. It's just not my... But I, I want you to get this picture because this was in the movie. It was a good part of it. Do you remember when Elf, whatever his name was, I didn't even, did he have a name? Buddy. Buddy. That's his name, really? Wow. <laughs> All right. So Buddy the Elf, he hears that Santa's coming. What's he do? Santa! Santa's coming! Santa's coming! He's excited. That's what this guy is. He is, if you can picture that face on that guy, this is blind Bartimaeus. Jesus. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Right? It's, it's Jesus. And he loses all his desire to beg. He loses his desire to cash in on all these people coming down with all this money. And he does something funny. People warned him, be quiet. He's not listening to him. Be quiet. No, I'm not. No, I'm going to get louder. Jesus, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. He says, Jesus, son of David. He's proclaiming something that you are the son of David. You are son of the king. You are the king in line. I know who you, I, I know you're, I know you're not just some, but you are Jesus, son of David. The one we're expecting. Have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer. Same people who are saying, Hush! Be quiet! Or now say, Oh, guess what? He wants to, he wants, let me take you to him. Let me take you to him. This is the guy. They want to be the one in there. They're all friendly now. You know people like that, right? Mm-mm. So they changed their mind. Be of good cheer. Oh, we want you to be happy now. We don't want you to be quiet. Rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and he came to Jesus. Now, this you read over this and you can just miss what it is. But he's saying this. 
uh, when he, he says, uh, he's calling for you to come. He wants you to come. Blind Bartimaeus is blind, but he is certified blind. Do you know what it means to be certified blind? That means the leaders of the town have put their stamp of approval on you that you are legally blind and that you have the right to beg. And what they do is they give you a cloak to wear. And when the person is wearing this cloak, the leaders of the town have said, you have the right to beg here. And so what he does is he does this. He takes that cloak, he takes it off, and he doesn't just, doesn't do that. Now, the Greek word that is used there means that he has his cloak on, and he hears that it's Jesus who's calling him. He says, chucks it away, gets rid of that thing, gets it out. I don't care where it goes, just throws it. He casts it away. He takes the cloak and he casts it away. He gets rid of the thing. I don't need it. Throw it away. It's gone. Now, this word here, let me look up or I put some notes in there for you. This word is used only one other time in Scripture. Two times this word is used. The only other time you'll find this word in Scripture this way, apabalo, is in Hebrews 10, verse 35. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. What he's saying is it's the same thing, that some people take their confidence in faith and they throw it away. They throw it away. Just like this man threw away his garment. Now, I want you to get a picture of this with our buddy here, blind Bartimaeus. He's blind. That garment gave him the legal right to beg and he threw it away that garment has some value if somebody else picked it up they could pose as a blind person and beg in his place and he won't have the legal right to beg without that garment <laughs> let me ask you something how does a blind guy find something that he threw away how does he do it because he didn't just lay it down the word that is used is to cast it away to throw it away, to get it away from yourself. He threw it. To throw off, to loose, or to throw away. He got rid of that thing. Does it seem like he's expecting to go back and get it? Doesn't seem that way, does it? Go back to the Scripture. Many warned him to be quiet. Many rebuked him. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy. He, he, despite all these rebukes that he's getting from people, and these were some strong rebukes. This word is used in, uh, with Jesus in verse um, 26 of Matthew chapter 8. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. It's a pretty strong word. Did I give you any other references? I probably didn't give them to you. I probably just kept them to myself. Sometimes you run out of room on those outlines and you just can't put any more stuff in there. But Matthew 16, 22, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, that this should happen. He's telling him, don't teach like this. He began to rebuke him. Matthew 17, verse 18, Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. Matthew 19, 13, the little children were brought to him and that he might be put their hands on them and pray, but the disciples rebuked them. He took the words of rebuke from these people. And he kept pressing on. And when he was called, he knew he had Jesus' attention. He waited until he knew he had Jesus' attention. He takes his blind 
coat, and he throws it aside. That blind coat wasn't holding him back from standing up and hollering after Jesus. Why is that blind coat going to hold him back from going and meeting Jesus? There's an act there. I don't need this anymore. And he got rid of it before he was even healed. So Jesus stood still. And he commanded him to be called. So they called the blind man, say to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, I love it when Jesus does this. (laughs) What do you want me to do for you? Really, Jesus, do we have to spell that out for you? I mean, come on. A lame guy, what do you want me to do for you? Uh, I don't know. Make me eggs? (laughs) What does Jesus always want people to do? Ask. Mark 11. Whatsoever things you ask, there needs to be an asking. If you do not ask, there is no activation in the prayer. How many times have people asked you to pray for other folks and they're not even there? How many times have you been asked to pray for people and the friend wants you to pray, but the actual person doesn't? You ever been in a situation like that? How many have ever felt pressured that you need to ask somebody to pray for them for another reason? Don't do it. Don't do it. That person needs to ask. Go through the word of God. There's not a single time that Jesus prays for anyone who doesn't ask. Not a single time. You want to do it right? Do it the way Jesus does. You want to do it wrong? Do it the way everybody else does. Let them ask. When they come to you, if they come to you and say, will you pray for me? For what? Now, Brother Hagin, we were down there at school. I loved his response. He would come up to the altar. There'd be people all over there. When he was traveling around, people all, all there, you know, wailing and carrying on and doing all sorts of stuff. And he'd go up to him and says, what are you praying for? Oh, nothing in particular. He said, that's exactly what you'll get then. <laughs> that's right. You're not asking for anything. If you're going to come to God in prayer, ask him for something. But you know what most people do in prayer? They, you know, we beg, we plead. He doesn't say beg and plead. He said ask. How long does it take to ask? It don't take long at all. We, we went over that series before. You don't, you don't all forget it, right? Five minutes to effective prayers. Most people are praying too long. Most people pray too long. Jesus' prayers were short. You pray too long, you get an unbelief. You watch it. Whoever said that you had to pray for so long? Well, Jesus was praying for an hour. Yeah, he did. But that was from, he wasn't asking for something. He was seeking after God. You want to pray and seek after God? You want to pray and worship? You can pray as long as you want to. But if you want to ask God for something, the longer you pray, the more likely you're in doubt and unbelief. Don't take it by me. Go in the Word of God. Find somebody who asked God for something who spent more than a sentence. If you can find it, then you follow that example. But I'd rather follow the example of people who did it. And it worked. They prayed quick. You want to spend an hour in prayer? One sentence, ask God for what you want. The rest of the time, thank Him. Praise Him. Worship Him. Commune with Him. Seek after His will. Stuff like that. Don't keep asking for stuff. Let's get back to blind Bartimaeus. He's still blind, by the way. We haven't gotten to the part. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him. I think it's great. The blind man said to him. (laughs) We're emphasizing the guy's blind. What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. I love the way he phrases this. That I 
may receive my sight. Not that you would heal me, but that I may receive my sight. Is that the way you would ask? That I may receive my sight. It's going to make sense here in just a minute. Then Jesus said to him, go your way. Why doesn't he say be healed? He says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. What made him well? His faith. Did he just start having faith? Is there any indication that he started having faith after he talked to Jesus? Isn't there more indication that he had the faith before he talked to Jesus? When he heard about Jesus, he got up, he threw away his, his blind garment. Doesn't that sound like a guy who has faith? What's he asking for? That I may receive it. That I may receive my sight. And he says to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. So here's the, what's the difference? He goes through all this time. He's still blind, but apparently he had faith. All this time, apparently he has faith, but he's not healed. And Jesus just says to him, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight. The only thing that changed was not his faith. What changed was he acted on the faith he had. Remember last week we looked at the, the water to wine? Mom comes up to the guys. Whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says. Whatever he says. And did they follow that to a T? I mean, whatever he said, they did it. They didn't go back and question. He said, fill these things up to the brim. What did they do? Or he just said, fill them up. They filled them up to the brim. They filled them all the way up. And we went over how difficult that probably was. But they filled them all the way on up. He said, go take the water to the, to the guy to test it. But it's, but it's water. They didn't say that. What did they do? Whatever he says to do, do it. They did it. Whatever he said to do, they did it. That's a lesson we all need to learn. Whatever Jesus says to do, do it. He says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight. Again, we're using this word receiving the sight. The faith was already in operation. He already had a belief. I am healed but he saw Jesus and said, oh, here's Jesus. I want, to, I want to receive it. I want to receive it. I know I have faith in Jesus. I have faith in what he can do. I want to receive this now. And he goes on up there throwing away the coat. Let me receive. Let me receive. Here's the reason for us looking at this today. There are many times when we're trying to give God, we're, we're going over this whole idea of giving God something to work, to work with. We told you in the beginning, sometimes some things need some modification. Sometimes some things need some alterations. Sometimes we need to, to change something. Blind Bartimaeus is used to receiving alms from people. And when a crowd of people come, this is a bigger payday. But this crowd in particular had Jesus in it. And he altered the way he would go about things. And instead of pressing the crowd for the alms, he pressed into Jesus for what his faith was set for. If you are used to going into a crowd and asking for alms, and now you're going into a crowd asking for something different, is that going to mess with you? 
He had to change it a little bit. Sometimes we've got to change up the way we've been coming after God. Sometimes we have to be willing to grow and to change up what we're doing. I'm going to give you a couple more examples of this. There was a paralytic. Remember in Mark chapter 2? I love that story. Mark chapter 2, my favorite part of that story is the power of God was present to heal them all. And yet, if you know the meaning, how many people got healed? Just one. But the power of God was present to heal them all. Brother uh, Doug Jones has this wonderful uh, thing from that. He says, it is, it is possible for the power of God to be present to heal and you not know about it. Because no one else left that meaning healed. Even though the Word of God says, if you believe the Word of God, it says, the power of God was present to heal them all. But he was not. He was the only one who was healed. But they came in and their expectation was, we're going to bring them into the meeting. We're going to bring them out to Jesus. Jesus is going to see them, lay his hands on them, and he'll be healed. But they got there and the crowd of people, they couldn't even get in. So what did they have to do? We have to change our approach. We've got to come up with a new way. How, how are we going to do this? Have you ever been working on a project and the way you're going at it is not working? What do you have to do? You've got to change your approach. You may not like it. You may, may not want to. But you've got to change your approach. You've got to do something that's different. Because the way you're doing, it's not working. We've got to change our approach. We've got to change. How is it that we are doing this thing? What is it that we're going to do? You've got to change our approach up. Because if you keep doing the same thing over and over and over, it's, it's not, it's not going to change. I mean, come on, have, think of a, a problem in your, in your life. It's something minor that you had to change the way that you did it. I just had that happen this week. You know, you know I talk about my fish tank every once in a while. I've got these uh, little saltwater critters walking around. And um, uh, I was telling some people on Wednesday some of the tests you have to go through with these things. And I've been doing these tests. And uh, there's a couple of, of conditions that were going up a little crazy. One of them was, uh, how many know what phosphates are? Nobody knows what phosphates Okay. You probably don't need to. There's, there's some industries that, beside this one that you need to know that. And then there's, there's another one that's called nitrates. Both of those are bad in a saltwater tank. And mine were rising. And I had actually changed some of the approach that I was doing on the filtering. And the levels were going up. The way I'm changing it to, it's supposed to actually help them go down more than they were before. But it wasn't quite working yet. And so I was changing the water. And I was changing about 10% of the water every week. And I was talking to guys, it's not, it's not helping. It's, we're not getting these levels down. Oh, no, you got to do more than 10%. you got to do at least 20 so I changed it from there. I was going 20 and I was going 30. I was changing 30% of the water doing a test and the test came up the same. I'm scratching my head. How is this possible? And so I started, I, I started doing, doing it two and three times a week. I was changing 30% of the water. And I do the test on it. You know what came up? Exactly the same. So I can either keep on doing the same thing or I can change it. So I thought, well, yeah. I've been wanting to do this for a little while. I haven't done it yet. I'm going to do this. I'm going to test the water that I'm changing. It's clean, pure water. I'm going to test that water. Found out that water wasn't as good as I thought it was. It actually had some of the properties in it that I'm trying to get rid of. So I'm changing water, but I'm putting the same stuff back in. So I got to find a, I got to change. I got to get those things out of the water that I'm changing. You got to change the thing up. If you keep going and doing the same thing over and over, what's going to happen? You're going to keep getting the same results. It's going to keep going the same way. We have been approaching God 
In many of our lives, we have been approaching God in the same way over and over and over. We're not getting the results that we want, but we just keep doing it. Why? Sometimes we've got to change it up. These guys changed it up. They came in, came in with a plan. All right, let's, let's do this. Let's go through the roof. I don't know that I would have done that because that's somebody else's roof. But they did it, and it worked, and the guy got healed. Here's another one. Israel, when they came out of, the, out of Egypt, they came up to the Red Sea, and God says, I'm going to do this for you, and he parted the Red Sea for them, right? And when they got up, they, they looked out, and the whole thing is, is parted, and it's dry ground, and now just walk on through. And so they walk on through. And then they, uh, years later, they come up to the Jordan, across the Jordan. And when they cross the Jordan, it's not the same way. I mean, they heard the stories. This generation heard the stories from the other generation. The other generation told us, oh, this wind came and the, wall, the water was on this side, the water was on this side, and it was all dry ground where we were and we just walked through. And they heard that story. They can be thinking, well, that's how God's going to do it for us, the same way. And they get there and God says, I'm not doing it that way. I'm going to leave the water just like it is and I want you to step into it. And when you step into the water, then I'll part it. That's not the way you did it before. I want you to do it the way you did it before. And they could be standing there on the sideline waiting for it to happen the way it was before and not get across. But God said, no, you step in. And you step in, and then they did it. They did it. Remember when the rock was struck the first time? And water came out? And God says, now Moses, the second time, you've got to teach them this lesson. I want you to not strike the rock, but to speak to it. It was a type for us that first Jesus was struck on the cross. And now from that point on, all we do is speak to it. It was supposed to be a type of that. But Moses messed it up because he was upset with the people. And so the, we didn't have that happen. But the, and God still honored it. But he, uh, Moses got in trouble. How about Daniel? Daniel was brought, brought into a place of recognition because he was an interpreter of dreams. Someone had a dream and he interpreted and it got him on the map. But for him to hit what God had for his plan and purpose for Daniel's life, Daniel had to not just be an interpreter of dreams. Daniel had to be the receiver of dreams and visions to get to the level that God wanted him to get to. He had to make that transition. How many have ever thought that Daniel had to make a transition? He had to not just be an interpreter of dreams, he had to be a receiver of the dream. And he did that. There are some times that there's a change that needs to come up on how you're approaching God. God wants to have something to work with, but you're, you're at a level where you need to change something. You need to, 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 to alter things a little bit. Not go against Scripture. Don't ever go against Scripture. But there's, there's other ways to... There's something else that we need to do. Jesus altered the way that he did things when he stepped into his ministry, didn't he? Then he altered the way he did things when he got baptized and the Holy Spirit came down upon him. Then he altered the way he did things when he got up in front of the temple and read that Scripture as if I have done these things, I have fulfilled these things. I'll put this in your outline for you if you want to write it down. Wishing hope waits for something to happen. There's a whole lot of folks out there who have faith, but they have wishing hope. They think they have faith. They have wishing hope. They're always they're waiting for something. They're wishing. Oh, I've prayed. I just can't wait for that thing to happen. I have prayed that I get a job and I'm just waiting for that job to come to me. I have prayed that my business would increase and I'm just waiting for that business to increase. I, I'm, I'm praying for a raise and I'm just waiting for that thing to happen. But word hope acts on faith to make something happen. Blind Bartimaeus saw an opportunity to take the faith that he had and to act on it. He already had the faith, but now he had an opportunity to act on it. And when everybody around was telling him to be quiet, rebuking him, he said, no, I'm going to keep on going. 
And he kept going and kept going until finally Jesus said, come on, I want to talk to you. Come on up here. Hope and faith will produce. They, hope and faith, when they're teamed up, they will produce in your life. The Word of God tells us it will. And it will produce. But you need to have a plan and action. I must have a plan based on faith in God. You've got to have a plan based on faith in God. What is your plan based on faith in God? Blind Bartimaeus, I don't know what his plan was. He may have had the plan that said, if I ever see Jesus... If he ever comes by my way, I'm going to get in his face so that he can seize me. That may have been his plan. Remember the woman with the issue of blood? She had a plan. If I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be made whole. She had a plan of action. She, she stuck with it too. I cannot let it be affected by the people or circumstances of this world because the people and the circumstances of this world are going to be telling you, go back the way you did it before. Go back the way you normally did it. Go back and do this way. You've got, to, you've got to listen to God. God is going to try and move you on. We've talked about it many times before, but you, you can go through seasons in your life. In your Christian walk, you can go through seasons. There are some times that there's a season where you're just reading the Word of God. There are some times you're in a season where prayer is at the number one aspect of your life. You're just praying all the time. Still doing the other things too. Still studying, still reading, but just prayer just envelops you. And then there are other times where you're not just reading, you're studying the Word. You are studying. You are diligently studying the Word. To, and then there's other times where you're just listening to God to hear things. And God is speaking to you about stuff. And you've got to be ready to go for those, those things. If you, go, if you don't believe this, go through the Word of God in the Old Testament. You're going to find out there are different ways that God dealt with people. And He moved from one way into another. God wants you to be ready to move out. You've got to take from where you are in order to move on to where God wants to take you. He says, all right, but you've got to let go of how you did it before. You've got to let go of that way. You've got to move on into this. All right, you, you got that understanding of Scripture? But there's more to it. You need to see this. We need to receive that revelation and understand it. God wants, God wants to take us on in the Word of God. How many of you all know what you know about the Word of God is a small amount compared to what God knows? Then we have room to grow. And, and very likely, there is some stuff that we know that is holding us back because it's not true. We used that quote before, but Ronald Reagan had a great quote. He wasn't talking about the things of the Spirit, but uh, he says, it's the things that people know and think are true that are our greatest hindrance. It's the things that people know and think are true that are our greatest hindrance. It's the things that we think are true in the Word of God, but are not true. They're holding us back. There are some things that we've, well, I've always done it this way. We, uh, we just went over this story a little while ago, but Peter, remember he's up on the roof, rooftop? Things are going well for Peter. Ministry's thriving. People are coming out to the meetings. Lots of people getting saved. Church is growing. He's sitting up there, the rooftop, and all of a sudden he's up there just to meditate and think about God for a little bit and he gets to be hungry, the Word of God tells us, and then this vision comes down in this sheet with all the four-footed critters in there and Word of God, or the Spirit of God says, remember? Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Not so, Lord. Nothing unclean has ever entered these, these lips. What I have called clean, don't call unclean. Happened two more times. He's sitting up there on the rooftop and he's pondering these things. 
And then he gets a call to go out to Cornelius' house. And he gets there. When he, when he gets there, he says, you know what? I shouldn't even be here. As a Jew, I shouldn't even be fellowshipping with you guys. But I had this vision. And I didn't know what it meant. I pondered on it, but I think, I think this is what God is trying to tell me. The Word of God is ready to go out to the Gentiles. And he was ready to hear that and to go out there and to take it. Did it, did it elevate him to a different level with God? He was ready to, to move on. He was ready to take that. Daniel had some revelations that came to him that show, so rocked his world, so shook him up, that it says he was ill for a while. But if you just keep hanging on to what God has always done, not necessarily going to change any. You've got to give something. You've got to give God something to work with here. God wants to work with. He wants to take you to another level. How many want to go to another level in your job? How many want to go to another level in, in, in the things that you're doing for God? How many of you want to go to another level in your understanding of God? Sure we do. We want to grow. We want to expand. We want to get into something. Well, then God is going to say, all right, you've got to let this go in order for you to move on into here. How many of y'all know that Satan always likes to come along and, t- and tell us things? You're no good. Remember that thing you did 10 years ago? Remember, how, remember this happened in your life? Yeah, it did. God can't use me. Yeah, he can. Use Paul. Paul said, I'm the worst of all sinners. Use me. There's a time you need to let go of some of the things of your past. There's a time you need to let go of some of the things that you learned that were wrong, but the Word of God is trying to show you that's not right. You need to shake that off. You need to go on. God wants to change so that you can move on and do something. He wants to modify you. He wants to make some alterations. He wants to improve you. But you know, if God improves us, oh, man. It's going to be good stuff. God wants to make some modifications. If God knocks on your door and says, Hey, Steve, I want to make some modifications. I, I want to alter some things a little bit. What, what should we say? I mean, God has made alter, alterations in me all the time. He, he, he comes to me and he says, You know, that doctrine you have about that's, that's wrong. Sometimes, you know, it's not just, it's, it's off. No, sometimes it's wrong. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, what's right? And he'll, he'll work me over and, and, and show me what's right. You know how you're approaching this thing in, in prayer? That's wrong. Really? You know, I used to approach God all the time. I, I, did, I did the same thing many of you did. Many of you did when you were growing up. I asked God to heal me. How many have ever asked? Don't, don't raise your hand. Please don't raise your hand. How many have ever asked God to heal you? I did that all the time until I found out that's wrong. I know some of you are still thinking, what do you mean that's wrong? What's wrong with asking God to heal me? It's not in the Word of God. Not in the Word of God at all. Nowhere in the Word of God does Jesus ever pray for anyone who is sick and says, Lord, heal him. Doesn't do it. What's he, do? What's he say every time? Go back and watch Jesus because Jesus did it right. And when, when God came and, and shook me up and showed me that, I said, oh, he never did that. I stopped doing it. Well, I tried to stop doing it. Have you ever tried to stop doing something you've done for a long time? You know what happens every once in a while? I go back into it. <laughs> I start asking God, oh, God, would you heal? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> go back in the word. What's the word say? What did Jesus do with sickness and disease? What did the centurion say he knew about Jesus' authority? You say that this one go, he goes, and this one come and he comes. You speak the word, the thing has to go. When Jesus came up and he dealt with demon spirits, when he came up and he dealt with sickness, what did he tell it to do? 
Oh, God, please heal this person. Oh, this person has been bound by affliction these 18 long years. Oh, we pray right now that you restore. Did he do that? And yet we do it all the time. Why? We're broke. We need to get modified. We need to get altered. Don't believe it because I said it. It's in the Word of God. (laughs) Go back and look how Jesus... Go back. I've done this. Oh, you don't know how many times I've done this because I love the stories. Go back and look at every time that Jesus ministered healing. Every single time Jesus ministered healing. Every single time Jesus ministered healing, he didn't pray to God. He spoke to it. There was one time that he prayed to God. Remember back over Lazarus? Lazarus is dead. He's not sick. He is dead. And he comes and he says, Oh, God, I pray that you restore him to life. No, he didn't do that. What did he do? My God, I thank you that you hear me always. I don't pray this for me, but I pray it for them. Then he says, Lazarus, come forth. We're wasting our time praying in a way we learned wrong. We're approaching God in a way that is wrong sometimes. And until you let go of the wrong way, you can't embrace the right way. You've got to reset the thing. Just like that fish tank water. I can keep changing, keep changing and keep changing. I'm not changing anything. I'm not altering this. I've got I to change something in how I'm doing it. You've got to change it. I, I learned some things because I'll tell you what, the way that God would teach me about stuff... Sometimes he, for a long time, he would teach me as I would study his word. I'd study his word. Oh, I'd, I'd study for hours and I would get stuff. I, I don't hardly do that as much anymore. What I do most of the time now is I study a little and I meditate a lot. I keep mulling it over. I keep going over. Father God, what is it that this, this means? And I, I have looked at the scripture so much. I've got it on the inside. I, can, I, I don't need the Bible in front of me. I can go over it. I can, all right, one here, one here, one here. What is it that you're saying? What is it that went on? And I'd meditate and I'd meditate and I'd meditate and I'd, and then God would have suddenly, my eyes would open. Oh, that's it. And then I go back and look at the, yeah, I see it now. All right, I can see, yes, it's in there. Uh huh. I didn't see it before. I see that now. I had to change the way that I, I'm sure that, you know, years from now, I'm going to be changing some more. I have to be ready for God to do that. I got to be ready. How many have ever gone through a time in your life where all you could do is pray? You can raise your hand on this one. I don't care. All you could do is pray. I mean, it just, oh, you had such a burden to pray, praying for people, praying for situations, praying for other, other folks, things that are going, just always praying. Just, it seemed like you'd get out of prayer and you feel like you have to go back into prayer again. Well, sometimes, you know, that's the best time God had you in, but it didn't mean you had to stay there. Maybe that you're in that time for a little bit. And now he says, all right, now I need you to go from there and I need you to move on. I need you to move on to another spot. I need you to change. Not leave your doctrine. Not leave the principles of the Word of God. But no, I need you to I need you to go out and to do this. I need you to go out and do these. What is God wanting to move you into? What are you ready to move into for God? What is it that you can do for Him? We need to be directed, not misled. Directed into the plan, not misled out of it. Don't be misled. Don't listen. But listen to, to, to the direction that God gives you. When God gives you direction, he says, all right, move to here. You're not getting out of his will. When the cloud or the fire moved for Israel, what did Israel do? They moved. When the cloud stayed still, what did Israel do? They stayed still. 
Too many times, Christians, we are staying still when the pillar of fire and the cloud by day in our life has moved. And we haven't been willing to move with it because we got stuck in our ways. We got stuck in how we did things with God. Come to the, I, I've come to the realization a long time ago. I don't know a whole lot about the Word of God. I know something, but I don't know a whole lot. I am ready to be taught. And if the Spirit of God comes up on the inside of me and says, Steve, that's the wrong belief that you got there, I need to come in and say, all right, then what is the right belief? What is the right direction? Because I need to let him speak into my life. And when he says something, I need to jump. When he says, fill those pots to the top, I need to fill them to the brim. Whatever he says, just do it. When he speaks truth into my life, I need to be like the woman from the land of Canaan, region of Tyre. I need to be like her. It's just truth. I'm not going to argue. Why are we arguing with Jesus? Why are we arguing with the Spirit of God? If the Spirit of God comes up and he says, this is true, and it's revelation, and we see it in the Word of God. We told you before, the principles we stand here on church all the time are, whatever we are to live our life by, there are three principles. Whatever we are to live our life by is taught clearly in the Word of God. It's not some veiled reference. It is taught often, and someone has done it. I won't, I won't do anything in our life that doesn't come up with it. I won't teach you anything that doesn't come up with that. There is, it is taught, it is taught often, and someone has done it. It is demonstrated. Because if it doesn't follow those things, we can get off. How many of you all know people, they're teaching this stuff out there, but there's no one in the Word of God ever did it. If no one in the Word of God ever did it, you probably don't need to waste your time. Don't, don't mess with it. But God wants to move you on. And when, he, when you're ready to move on, you're suddenly going to see some things. <gasps> I never saw that anyone did that before. But there it is. And there it is. And there it is. And your eyes will be opened. If you're up on Facebook this week, I put something up on there that God gave me. If you were not on from Facebook, then you missed it. Go back up there and get it. It's up on the church page. It's even up there on my page. If you can't get it, ask me about it. But I'll, but I want you to go do some digging. It's up there on the church page. It's something that God dropped in my spirit. I put it right up on there. On there. It is, oh, I'll tell you what, it's truth. It, I, I've looked at that thing. I said, oh, yeah. It's, that it, sometimes God can slap us upside the head and it feels good. Oh, yeah, get rid of that bad stuff. Get rid of that wrong way of going after God. We have had some wrong ways. We have done some things we shouldn't do. And it's holding us back. God is not trying to pull things out of your life to take things from you. He's trying to move you on in a direction that is good, that is beneficial. And we are the ones that hold ourselves back because I refuse. No, I've always done it. When I've been in a crowd, I've always collected alms. I got, I got to collect the alms. I'll get Jesus later. No. If he would have done that, Jesus would have passed by. And who knows how much more time he would have had. To get it. He changed his life because he was willing to let go. Are you willing to let go of how God has dealt with you to move on into another? Are you willing to be modified? Are you willing to be altered? Are you willing for God to change you? If you want to move on for God, if you want to do some great things for him, he's the guy who prunes. Is he not called the pruner? Doesn't he prune the ones that he loves? Doesn't he do some things to help us out? Oh, he surely does. Would you all bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. We want to be improved. We want to be modified.
We want to be changed so that we come closer to the image of our God. That's who we want to be shaped into the image of. I love the Steve Camp song when he penned those words. I want to get so close to... It wasn't Steve Camp, but you know who it was, Lord. (laughs) I want to get so close to you that it's no big change on that day when Jesus calls my name. We can get to a place where our relationship for you changes less when we are face-to-face in front of you if we are willing to let you modify us in this life. So, Father... We want to be modified. Every head bowed, our eyes closed. If you want to say, Father God, I am ready to be modified like I haven't been modified before. I want you to speak things to my life. I want you to show me things in your word. I want you to, to send correction that I need. I want you to make alterations and modifications in my life. If you want to do that, just raise your hand right now before God and say, God, I am ready for you to alter. I am ready for you to modify. I am ready for you to change me. Father God, you see the hands that are raised right now. They are people that are stepping up. They are ready to be altered for you. They're ready to go past the way they have always dealt with you into a more glorious way. The children of Israel were in the land of Egypt and they had everything handed to them, but they were in bondage. And sometimes that way looked better when they started to move out into the wilderness and things were not handed to them the same way. They didn't quite have the same things that they had before. And they began to look back and they say, oh, I want to go back to the way things were. The Word of God tells us that the day they stepped into the promised land, the manna that came from heaven ceased. No more was there water from rocks. Now they fed off of the land. And they had to be willing to accept that change. So often we look back to what we had before. And it was comfortable. But it wasn't moving us on. Help us, Father, to move on move on into you, to grow and to mature, to not be the one who always needs to receive, but to be the one of the ones who is ready to give. In order for us to be ready to give, we have to be amply, ample in the area of receiving. We need to know how to go into the presence of God and receive. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us in that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And before we go, it is our communion Sunday. Rushers are coming to take the communion elements, pass them around. As they come to you, we go over this every time that we do communion because Jesus said that we are to do this often so that we don't forget. Because our tendency is that we would forget. But the Word of God tells us, and Paul tells us in Corinthians, about the night that Jesus was with the disciples. He brought them into the upper room. And it says very clearly, before supper, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you. And then they went on and they had the meal. And then at the end of supper, what happened? He passed the cup. And he says, this cup represents the blood of the new covenant. Now, we all know our, we should all know our doctrine that the forgiveness of sins is in the blood of Jesus. And we don't need to add anything to it. It's in the blood of Jesus. His blood has cleansed us from all sin, from the punishment of sin. We have been cleansed from it. 
And so he did this in two parts for a reason. The first part is his body, as Naz was talking about. The curse of the law was put upon him so that we would not have to bear it. That curse was put on his body. It is his blood that gave us forgiveness. But the curse was put on our body. We need to remember both parts. Isaiah tells us he was bruised for our iniquities. He was bruised for our iniquities. It tells us that by his stripes we are healed. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by, our stri- by his stripes we are healed. What he took in his body is for the curse to be removed from us. What he did with the shedding of his blood was for the forgiveness of sins. And it's done in two parts. Don't forget either part. Because it's important to Jesus that we remember both. Sometimes people look at the body as an extension of the blood. If it was, then Jesus wouldn't have done this in two parts. We do them together. We do them together so much anymore that we think it's one after the other, but it's not. If you go back and you read the account of it and Paul gives us and also the account in the Gospels, you will see that before the supper, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. We all have our bread in our hands. Let's eat together. Remember, his body broken for us. And then after supper, he took the blood, the cup. He said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. No more sacrifices. No more bringing up blood that covers up sin. We're going to pay for it. We're going to wipe it all away. And that's why when he went down into the earth, he brought up with him those that were in paradise because the price was paid. And now when we die, we are with him in heaven because of his blood. Let's drink together and remember. Would you all stand? What a glorious day. It didn't look like one at the beginning. But what a glorious day it was when Jesus died on the cross for our sin. He took our punishment, took our curse, he took our sin, he paid our penalty. And by his blood, we are cleansed. We're not righteous because of we are because of our righteousness. We are righteous because of his. We thank you so much for that. We live this life and we work for you. We serve you not because we're trying to get into heaven, but because that's where our destination is. We want to serve you on the way. We thank you for it. Thank you for this week and the people you will bring into our life that we can share the light of your gospel with them. We are the word of God that they will see. And the words that we utter can come from you if we let it. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.